This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, January 4th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Commissioner Cooper voted chairwoman for 2023. Public health prepares for a new COVID variant. Avalanche danger considerable in the San Juans. And a mountain weather forecast. With only three commissioners, the duties of governing San Miguel County are shared amongst all on the county board. On any given topic at any given meeting, there's room for everyone to be heard. But in accordance with Colorado statutes, county commissioners are charged with officially appointing a chair and vice chair at the beginning of each calendar year. County Manager Mike Bordonia explains it has been San Miguel's practice to rotate the position amongst the county's three commissioners. Typically occurs the first meeting of each year. Uh, The Board of Commissioners has to designate their chair and vice chair for the coming year. It's been St. Miguel's practice for the past numerous years to rotate the chairmanship um, on the rotation schedule that we've been on. It would be to appoint um, Commissioner Cooper as the chairperson and Commissioner Waring as the vice chairperson for 2023. Chris Holstrom served as chairwoman in 2022, and as Bordonia says, Commissioner Cooper is next up for the role. The chairperson serves as a de facto leader of the county board and is the voice directing public comment and calling the meeting to order, amongst other duties. Holstrom says the rotation works well for the board and allows all to take on the task of leadership. I want to say, since I've worked with these folks for a while, uh, I think we it makes we're it's a pretty good team, and I think each one of us has been able to do this. And I think we each learn a lot every time we rotate positions. And I would happily make a motion to um, have Commissioner Cooper be chair for 2023, and Commissioner Waring be vice chair for 2023. Cooper echoed Hallstrom's support of the chairmanship's rotation and praised Hallstrom's leadership in 2022, including her introduction of a moment of silence at the beginning of each commissioner meeting. I'd like to ditto that and uh, just really specifically appreciate your moment of silence at the beginning, and I fully intend to keep that on there. So um, appreciate you adding it and the thoughtfulness uh, with which you have approached this role. With that, the vote commences to unanimous approval. I vote aye. 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 Great. With some commissioners attending the first meeting of the new year on Zoom, Holstrom notes that the ceremony took on a virtual form. With that, I will happily hand over the virtual gavel to Commissioner Cooper uh, to run the rest of the meeting as chair. In 2023, Hillary Cooper takes on the role of chair of the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners. Lance Waring will serve as vice chair. A new variant of COVID-19 is spreading across the United States, XBB 1.5. It's been increasing rapidly across um, the globe and really hitting the East Coast right now. Um, there's a couple different strains of that, and it looks like there's uh, more immune escape than the previous subvariant that we've been seeing. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin providing an update to the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners this week. 
She notes currently XBB only accounts for about 2% of cases in our region, including Colorado, Utah, Montana, Wyoming, and the Dakotas. But she anticipates the cases will continue to rise. Similar to all the other subvariants, um, it's really started in um, urban populations and moved across um, the U.S. as um, it spreads. Still, for the moment, COVID cases in Colorado are trending downwards. But this is within mind that the XBB uh, subvariant hasn't really made it to our communities yet. Dr. Jeffrey Coker, a public health advisor, adds the community should prepare for an increased disease burden in the coming weeks. They are um, so much more contagious than previous versions that um, they will become the dominant virus here in a very short time. And we can expect a lot more cases. Now, the good news is that all of us fall into the category of either being vaccinated or having had COVID or have being vaccinated and having had COVID. So um, I, I, we're not going to see a tremendous number of people get terribly ill from it. When it comes to other respiratory illnesses, Franklin says RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus, appears to have peaked early and is back to more typical disease range for the season. But still quite quite a concern for the young and um elderly. Flu also spiked early in the season and is trending down, but Franklin cautions celebration. Although it looks like it's going downward, one thing to note, um, 2018-2019, that year there were two waves, um, and so and so that is a possibility. Um, it might not be, but we'll, we'll have to see. And um, even though we may have reached the peak of um, influenza um, for right now, it's important to note that cases are still circulating and especially post-holiday where everyone was um, interacting with uh, more people or different circles than they normally do. Um, We'll see that impact in the next couple of weeks. As always, Franklin urges the community to do its part to keep everyone safe this winter. Stay home when you're sick, stay up to date on your vaccines, mask up in crowded places and test before seeing loved ones. A dangerous reality of the winter season is fully upon the San Juans. Over the past several days, the Telluride region has seen a number of avalanches. There was a slide near Ajax on New Year's Eve. Several skiers triggered an avalanche on the Telluride Ski Resort, though no one was injured. Also on December 31st, a skier was buried in an avalanche in Ophir. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, the skier was buried under roughly 1.5 meters of snow for approximately six minutes before he was rescued. He was uninjured and able to ski out. Brian Lazar is the deputy director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. He says the increase in avalanche danger wasn't a full surprise. He says it was a one-two punch of a weak base layer with heavy snowfall on top. You know, we had a pretty potent set of winter storms with just a lull in snowfall in between. Um, and that was enough of a rapid load to tip the balance on a lot of these weak layers. And so we saw a dramatic rise in avalanche activity through the holiday period, which of course resulted in uh, avalanche warnings and high avalanche danger across a pretty sizable portion of the San Juan Mountains. Lazar adds the avalanche danger is decreasing, but that doesn't mean the danger is gone altogether. That's still going to be pretty dangerous, um, with the main distinction being that 
most natural avalanches um, should have run their course by now. We could have a natural avalanche here or there with um, continued wind loading. But most of the natural avalanche activity has done its thing. Uh, but that just leaves a lot of slopes out there just sitting right on the balance and waiting for uh, a human trigger to come along and tip the scales. According to Lazar, avalanche danger includes most faces of a mountain. We move into the middle part of next week is still this persistent slab avalanche problem, which just means that avalanche is breaking on those weak layers. And unfortunately, those weak layers are kind of widely distributed. But the most dangerous slopes face, you know, northwest, essentially any part of the northern part of the compass. So that's northwest, north, northeast. And it wraps all the way around to east and even southeast aspects. And so those are the most dangerous slopes. And we're looking at slopes steeper than about 35 degrees on those aspects. They're going to be the most suspect um, and most susceptible to human triggering. And Lazar reminds recreators that any slope can be dangerous, regardless of the location. It's quite easy, actually, to get into some pretty serious terrain. Um, either you know right off the road um, or you know through uh, uh, through gates at ski areas, and it's really important to remember that just because backcountry terrain is easy to access and it might even be in sight of major infrastructure like ski areas or highways, does not make it any safer. As soon as you enter the backcountry, you are in the backcountry, and you have to take all the appropriate precautions, regardless of how easy the access was. Of course, Lazar reminds everyone who plans to head into the backcountry to get prepared. It's really important to develop a ritual. It's pretty, really simple and intuitive stuff. But before you're going to head into the backcountry, it's really important that you get your local avalanche forecast. Um, and that's the first step of any kind of ritual of traveling in the backcountry is make sure you're up to date on current conditions by reading the avalanche forecast. Um, second is if you're going to travel in the backcountry terrain, uh, it's imperative that you carry uh, the minimum required rescue gear, which is an avalanche transceiver, a shovel, and a probe, and travel with partners that also have that stuff and have practiced and know how to use it. Um, and if you haven't already, um, you know, start taking some avalanche courses, and we really recommend a field-based recreational avalanche class because it teaches you how to use and interpret the forecast to develop trip plans that are suitable for current conditions and it teaches you how to practice with that rescue gear um, in the event that something goes wrong. To check current avalanche conditions, go to the CAIC's website at colorado.gov avalanche. No doubt, winter in Telluride is fully underway, and Art Walk is back with the return of high season. Taking place on the first Thursday of every month, galleries open across Telluride to welcome patrons new and old. Austin Halpern, Programs Director at Telluride Arts, which organizes the walk, says galleries often choose exhibits to complement this season. I think something that uh, Telluride Arts HQ Gallery focuses on, and I, I definitely notice um, around town as well, is, uh, you know, lots of warm, colorful, you know, exciting shows that bring you in off the street. Halpern notes new locations have been added to the Art Walk Gallery Guide, including Between the Covers Bookstore and a total of four locations in Mountain Village. Meanwhile, Slate Gray is a longtime staple of the Art Walk scene and is opening the new exhibit Sky High to coincide with the special night. Telluride-based artist Molly Peralt describes a recent piece which is featured in the show. 
I create mixed media pieces primarily out of magazine paper. Um, and I cut up the magazine paper really small. I try to find interesting colors and textures and patterns to use um, in lieu of painted brush stroke. The piece that's uh, being featured at Slate Gray, this art walk, is called an open-air living room. Um, it's a big, round piece, and it's an image of Lizard Head Wilderness, um, a place that I love to go in the summertime. It feels very much like an open-air living room to me. And even just looking at the photo, it gives me that sense of peace that I get. Halperin's advice to art walkers? I mean, I'd really just suggest come by um, Telluride Arts, grab a gallery guide. It has a map inside. All the galleries are numbered and their addresses are in there. And there's a map of downtown Telluride to help and touring, touring the spaces. Um, most of the galleries uh, do a little bit of wine and, and small bites. Um, so uh, please indulge and be careful and watch for slippery ice out there. Um, but it's a great time. The first art walk of the winter season takes place on January 5th from 5 to 8 p.m. Last week, the Telluride Foundation announced its annual community grantees, distributing a total of $1 million in funding to area nonprofits. The grants ranged in size from $1,500 to $160,000. Many recipients may be familiar to listeners, including Telluride Arts for its restoration of the Transfer Warehouse, Habitat for Humanity's work in Ridgeway, and the Uncompagre Medical Clinic in Norwood. This round of grants was the foundation's most competitive yet. Of the funds it distributed, 40% went to supporting projects in health and human services, arts initiatives, and early childhood education. Each received 20%, and the rest of funds went towards projects supporting athletic groups, the environment, and educational initiatives generally. Come summertime, everyone knows where to stop by on a Friday afternoon. Oak Street, of course, and the bustling farmer's market, which takes place over that corridor of Telluride's downtown. Now, shoppers with a love of all things local will be able to get their fix even in the depth of winter. Each Friday in January, the Mountain Village Winter Market will take place at the Conference Center Plaza. Running from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., the market will have vendors hawking local crafts, jewelry, baked goods, lavender, artisanal ghee, and much more. There will also be live music. More information in a list of Mountain Village events can be found at townofmountainvillage.com. On December 30th, the Missing Indigenous Person Alert went into effect in the state of Colorado. It's a public alert system for active cases of missing and murdered Indigenous people. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamidas of KSUT and KSJD has more. The new alert system is part of a number of changes that Colorado has made to bring more resources to missing and murdered Indigenous persons cases. Native American and Alaskan people are two and a half times more likely to be involved in violent crimes than the general population. The rates among Indigenous women are even higher. Audrey Simpkins is an investigative analyst at the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. Given their at-risk nature of some of the folks who go missing in that population group, if you will. So it was just one more tool dedicated to aid um, in the recovery of missing folks from those communities. 
The new system pushes emails and text alerts to broadcasters across the state as well as members of the public who opt in to receive messages. Simpkins and her colleagues hope that the system will lead to more cases being solved. When someone is missing in the state of Colorado, members of the public may be able to provide useful tips and information to that law enforcement agency who might be investigating that case. According to the American Library Association, Colorado is home to approximately 50,000 Native American people. For KSUT and KSJD, I'm Clark Adamitis. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clouds tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Thursday calls for cloudy skies with a high near 40, and Thursday night calls for clouds with a low around 25. Snow showers are likely to develop Thursday night and continue throughout the day on Friday, when the high should be around 30. Friday night calls for cloudy skies with a low around 15 degrees. This has been the news for Wednesday, January 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, Cuddo listeners. We just wanted to remind everyone that Tri-County Health Network is providing enrollment assistance for Connect for Health Colorado Health Insurance. For health insurance coverage to start on February 1st, 2023, Enrollment must be completed by January 15th. Open enrollment ends January 15th. Appointments are available at 970-708-7096 or tchnetwork.org. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.